So what you're looking at above you right now is uh, the road, literally the road to Emmaus. And uh, many of you who have been to the Holy Land remember uh, probably seeing that road. And uh, today I want to take you on a journey down that road. Uh, this is the road that caused me from, from uh, moving from the Methodist Church, which was my roots, 27 years, uh, into the Anglican or Episcopal Church, this very scripture from Luke 24 today. And so I walked the road to Emmaus, and today I want to walk it with you. But uh, one of the things that you'll notice in our story today is that Jesus comes alongside two disciples on that very road. And now Jesus is, of course, uh, he died on Friday, and now it's the third day. So it's the day of resurrection. It's Sunday. And uh, Jesus is not a disembodied spirit when he comes alongside them. I know some people think that we have a spark of divine within us and that these bodies are terrible and one day we'll loose the body and our good spirits will go back to meet with God. That's not it at all. Your bodies were made by God. He loves our bodies. He loves the material world. What he's going to do is reconstitute everything and remake it into a good and, and perfect world again. So Jesus is the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep. He's the first one resurrected, and we're going to follow him one day with resurrected bodies that never wear out. And so two things you'll notice uh, post-resurrection, and that is Jesus has a real body. He really can eat fish on the beach. Um, and the second thing is that many people fail to recognize him. Uh, remember um, Mary Magdalene, when she goes to the tomb on the day of the resurrection, she mistook, mistook Jesus for the gardener come to spruce things up a bit in the tomb, maybe. Um, but we know that many times we fail to recognize him. So this is a service of recognition. How do they begin to recognize Jesus this morning? Well, let's look at that in the Bible. We're in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn to cha chapter 24, verse 17. And you'll see that this stranger comes alongside them that they don't recognize. In verse 17, it says this, And he, Jesus, said to them, what, are, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other? And they stood still, looking sad. Think about that. They, for them at this point, do not know that he's, been he's raised from the dead. They still believe that their hopes have been crushed. Their promises from God have been false. That the Messiah is dead. So they are sad. They're totally dejected this morning. In fact, look at verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 21. They said to Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem all of Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Now, I don't know about you, but I can take pretty much any crisis that may come my way in life as long as I know that God is with me in the valley. I mean, we can pretty much go through anything, right? But when you feel abandoned by God, you feel like his promises aren't true, if you feel like you've been orphaned by the one who created you, then we got real problems. That's the kind of dejected spirits that they had that day. They felt that all of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah had been false and God had let them down. But Jesus, look at what Jesus does. He begins to, to lift their hearts by these words. Look at verse 26. He says to them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And how does he unpack it? How does he lift their spirits? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. He says, guys, let's do Bible study. Let's look at Jeremiah in 31, how he promises that a new covenant was coming and that he would write the law on our hearts and he would forgive his people's sins forever. Let's look at Isaiah, how this Messiah is also the one come to suffer for us and that by his stripes we'll be healed. Let's do Bible study. Friends, a worship service is breaking out 2,000 years ago. This is called the Liturgy of the Word. That's the first part of the Anglican service of worship. The first part is to be convicted by the Word of God. That's what Jesus is doing for them, expounding upon God's Word. Paul made this promise. He said in Romans 10, he said, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So the first part of our service is to be convicted by the word of God, to hear the word of God preached, and then to respond to it by standing up and affirming our faith that we believe everything that we've heard today. So this stranger walking with us on the road to Emmaus not only breaks open the word, but look at what he does next. He becomes the celebrant. He's the priest at the Eucharist this morning. Look at verse 28. So they're drawing near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as though he was going still farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. Convicted by the word, now they invite Jesus into their home, into their house, into their lives, to break bread and share it together in communion and fellowship. And here's what he did. As priest at the table, he took the bread He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Dom Gregory Dix, the famous liturgical scholar who's now deceased, said that these are the fourfold actions of the Eucharist. Take it, bless it, break it, and give it. And we see it time and time again. And after Jesus was a celebrant and he did those things, in verse 32, I love it. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he met us on the road and as he opened up the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn within us? He's gone from a stranger on the road to the Lord of of them all, to the one who is resurrected and raised in glory everlasting. He is victorious over sin and death, and he was made known to them how? By the word and by the sacrament. Same thing that we do every Sunday. That's why, as a Methodist, I yearned on the Lord's Day to take communion every Sunday. I knew it had power for us. That's what you just read. He blessed it, broke it, gave it, took it. In Mark 14, 22, when Jesus uh, commemorates the Last Supper, same words. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Did you know that it gets even more? powerful. Paul, even in 1 Corinthians, says the same thing. He says that, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Guess what? Listen to that last verse. For as oft as you eat and drink of this bread and this cup, You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. 
So we're not just remembering a 2,000-year-old event on Sunday morning. We're reenacting it as a witness to the world that Jesus has overcome sin and death. His death we're still proclaiming on Sunday morning through word and sacrament and his rising from the grave victorious forever. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. In the Acts of the Apostles, it continues, for they continued to meet together in the temple courts even after he rose in victory. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. My goodness, Acts of the Apostles, 1 Corinthians, Mark's Gospel, today in Luke 24. He took it, he broke it, he blessed it, and he gave it to them. My friends, for me as a Methodist, you know, I, I look back at the early church, and I wanted to get to the authentic way of worshiping or what they did in the early church. And so what I thought is that, you know, you can tell a secret to somebody. If I told a secret to Bonnie in the front row over there, and she told the secret, and it went around the room, and then I asked on this side what the secret was, it would be profoundly changed, wouldn't it? It might have some of the bare essentials, but it would be different. So what I did as a Methodist is I'm like, I want to do it the way the Bible did it. I want to do it the way that the people in the Acts of the Apostles did it. I want to do it in the fourfold way that Jesus presented it to the church. Take it. Bless it, break it, and give it. And so I went back to the early church's model. Here's what Justin Martyr says in 150 or around that uh, A.D. Uh, He says this. He says, on the day called Sunday, that's the Lord's Day, here's what the early church did. All who live in the cities or in the countries gathered together in one place. And with the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. So what do we do? We hear the Word of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, just like they did in the early church. And then Justin Martyr goes on to say, Then when the reader has ceased, the president or the celebrant or the preacher verbally instructs and extorts, exhorts the uh, imitation of these good things. So the preacher comes up and expounds upon the Word of God, just like Jesus did with those people, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's break break open the Word. Let's talk about what this means. Let's look at Jesus in the Old Testament. But it goes on. In the second century, then we all rise together and pray. And And as before we said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought forth. The ushers will bring the bread and the wine and the water up to the front to give thanks over, to consecrate for God. And then once the prayers are said and the thanksgivings of the Eucharistic prayer, then uh, we'll all say amen. And that's the great amen. So when we finish uh, celebrating communion, we'll all say amen together after the distribution. And so the church has been worshiping in this way for 2,000 years Then there's a distribution to each one according to what he's been given. And those people who can't be there for our service, the deacons or the lay Eucharistic ministers take the sacrament out to God's people so that they can be joined and knit together in the body of Christ that we share in this morning. Isn't it a beautiful thing? 2,000 years we worship in the same pattern that the early Christians did. So we break bread with Jesus this morning. Now don't get me wrong. The Anglican style of worship through word and sacrament is not the only way to worship. But for me, because this is what Jesus instituted and how the early church worshiped, for me it's the most authentic. And it speaks powerfully to me. 
And that Luke 24, as, as that stranger on the road began to be known to them as the resurrected Lord through word and through sacrament, guess what? He can do the same thing for you and me this morning. So maybe you have come into this church this morning and you feel dejected. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you even feel like you've been orphaned by God and abandoned by the one who made you. That's what they felt. And guess what? By the end of the story, through word and sacrament, their hearts burn within them with the fire and the love of Jesus Christ. And if it happened for them, it can happen for you and for me. There are a few other elements that I want to touch on before we end the sermon. For the Anglican Church, one of the things that moved me was that as Anglican Christians, worship is not about us. It's about the living God. So while you may think that you're uh, the audience today, you're not. God is the audience. He looks down from heaven on our worship, and he breathes it in like incense into his nostrils. And when we worship him in song and with joy and with thanksgiving, that's what Eucharist means. It means to give thanks. So when we're praising and adoring and honoring him, he's just soaking it all in. He's watching us. We're the performers. We're the actors. He's the audience. Worship comes from the old English word, which means worth, to give somebody their worth or their due. And so everything that we do on Sunday morning is propelling the honor and the worship and the glory back to the living Lord in heaven. And so we give him his worship, his worthship. We worship in a participatory way. We call it liturgia in Greek. It's liturgy in English. It means the work of the people. And if you're not singing the songs and praying the prayers and putting your heart and your soul into it, then you're not working very well. So we work together. It's a participatory thing. I remember as a Methodist, I oftentimes, you know, was struck by the passivity of some of the worship that I experienced. Well, we don't go to worship to experience. We go to worship to sacrifice we give of our prayers and our praises back to the Most High God. It's a different way of viewing things. And when we say, do this in remembrance of me, that's a, that's a Greek word too. It's anamnesis. And guess what? It has great power because it's an emphatic imperative. Jesus is saying, don't just do it casually. Do it every time you gather together as the church on the Lord's day. Do this in remembrance of me. But the other powerful thing about that word is it's not just a, a memory of something that went on 2,000 years ago. Do this in remembrance of me means to make it alive again. So we're actually going back to the Lord's Supper when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Back 2,000 years ago when he said, take, bless, break, and give this to my people. But we're also being propelled forward. Propelled forward to that day where in Revelation... It says that, that uh, we will eat at the marriage feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19. So we're looking forward to that day where with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, all the believers will be gathered from the ends of the earth to praise and worship the Most High God together in heaven. Don't you want to be there with us? They accepted Jesus on that road. They said, come on in, eat with us, break bread, let us go from, from stranger to personal relationship with a living Lord. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that opportunity is before you to go from a stranger on the road to the living Lord in your midst through the word, through the sacrament as you receive it. My friends, we as Christians, we've got to stand against the morals of this world. 
stand against the, the trends of our culture, and to be strongly the body of Christ to his greater glory. You know, one of the things that we do powerfully in the church is we come in with a procession. And I know some of you said, well, that's kind of high church, and Tripp's just going off in this, this high church bent. No, it's really not. Guess what? It was established in the early church. It's called the, the Pompa Circensis in Latin. And what happened in the early church is that Christians refused to bow down and worship Caesar. And they had these worship services where they would parade around the streets of Rome. Everybody would have to bow and give homage to Caesar. The Christians were killed because they refused to bow down to Caesar. But not only were they killed, they brought that service into the life of the church. And rather than lifting up the image of Caesar and bowing down to Caesar, we lift high the image of Christ, the cross of Christ, that that sacrifice he made for us. And you'll notice that some Anglicans or Episcopalians will oftentimes give a gentle bow to the cross to to give it its due, to, to reverence Jesus for all the work he did for us on the cross. And so we're saying in that one moment, Caesar is not Lord. Barack Obama is not Lord. No ruler of this world is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God. James 4, 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In that one bow, what we're saying is we're not friends with the world. We're friends with Jesus who comes alongside us on the road, reveals himself to us as risen Lord through word and through sacrament. In just a few minutes, you're going to confess your sins to God. That's a very powerful part of the service. So your vertical relationship with God is going to be restored through the power of Christ's blood. And Tyler will offer you forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and you can have your whole lifetime of sin washed away in one moment of faith. And then you're going to turn to your neighbor And if you have anything against your neighbor, you're going to say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And your horizontal relationships will be restored with your church community. And then being forgiven by God and forgiven by one another, you're going to be able to come and have a foretaste of that heavenly banquet where we will feast with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven at the marriage feast of the Most High Lamb. It's a great way of worshiping. I hope you appreciate it for what it is. It turned this old low church Methodist into an Anglican, and it still has power to speak to us today as well through word and sacrament. May we meet him this day. And guess what? When we leave the church, we don't recess. We don't recess out the church. We process. Being filled with the word and with the holy life of Jesus, we take it out in witness to the sinful and darkened world that Jesus is the light, and he's overcome the sins of the world. Let us pray. Father in heaven, come to us powerfully in the person of Jesus along that roadside of Emmaus. And and if we are dejected or lonely or in any way downtrodden or we feel like we've been abandoned in this world, come alongside us this morning. Through your comforting word, through your convicting word, through the power of your sacrament, speak to our hearts and may Christ be known to us. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have made us friends. We will be enemies with the world, but we are friends with God. So come alongside us, dear Lord, and buoy our hearts and lift our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name.